This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. All right, so welcome everyone. We're on the Second Floor Podcast and I have both Melody and Lee with me who have recently just published their book called Strength Training for All Body Types. The science of lifting and levers. And, you know, one of the biggest things that stood out to me in bringing, you know, both Melody and Leon is, you know, when I got to talk with them, both of you actually noticed that there's a sense of, you could say, um, a divide in the fitness industry where, you know, we're at a time right now where we do need to pay attention to um, the specific uh, body types that people have. You know, not everyone is going to be training the same. Uh, there's a huge aspect around customization that us as personal trainers really hone in on. And I'm excited to see that both of you have taken the time and effort to, you know, write a publish a book that has to do with different body types. So people can actually read and see, you know, what programming, and what exercises they should be doing based off their body type. So I'm excited for us to have a conversation around that today, as well as, you know, looking into the differences of online training versus in person and, um, you know, how long someone should keep a trainer for and everything in between. Uh, But before we do so, I want to hear from both of you. We could start off with Lee. Uh, Why don't you share with us, you know, what, um, you know, who you are, your elevator pitch when people ask who you are and what got you into the personal training industry? Um, the short term, well, at least the short form answer would be I'm a trainer. Uh, I work in the fitness industry 16th year deep now, and uh, I do a few under, other things under that umbrella, including writing. Um, I educate, so I uh, teach at uh, college here in Toronto. And um, yeah, I've just been uh, really immersed in, in most things that have to do with uh, the fitness industry from a kind of an educational perspective. So that's really what my uh, my thing has been lately. I've done a lot of articles and finally culminated in this book, that uh, decided to talk about, but um, yeah, that's that's been the main thing. Kind of got into it from being into sports, into athletics and stuff when I was younger, when I was a, a school aged kid, and also in university too. I ran track, so it uh, went hand in hand with. I was doing kinesiology courses at the time as well, and so it was uh, it was perfect sort of like you know synergy that that just naturally led me into doing something like this for uh, for a career and. That's been it. I really don't have any different, like crazy story or anything like that. It's really it sort of just went to went the way that I was hoping that it would go as far as just um, getting into the industry, remaining in the industry and uh, working hard in the industry and uh, putting everything that I've got into it. So here we are. Nice. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing. Lee. And how about for you, Melody? Um, So I kind of got into it in a, in a very like strange way, I guess, because I didn't grow up athletic at all. Um, in my family, that's just not what was done. Um, we, you, you, you know, if you were a boy, maybe you go into sports, but if you're a girl, you, I mean, you, you go and you go to school and then you go to Harvard and then you, you know, you marry someone who also went to Harvard and then you have kids who will then go to Harvard. And that's basically what you do in my family. Um, and I, I didn't go that route. I mean, I did get, you know, I, I, I got educated all the way up to master's degree, but I, you know, um, I, I didn't go that route. <laughs> um, and so for me, you know, having been bullied most of my life and I was the last one picked for every sport in school, I was not a natural athlete. It never would have even occurred to me to go into something like this. Um, I'm, a, I'm a musician. That's what I wanted to be. 
And uh, when I was in, uh, got out of college, my brother, Brad, who most people know, know him, he had a personal training center for women. And I was working as an advertising uh, assistant executive and uh, making $20,000 a year in New York City. <laughs> it was a buy you a sandwich. So he, uh, he let me work for him on the weekends. And I didn't know what I was doing. So he taught me all the exercises and, you know, kind of walked me through that. And so then I would just kind of vomit whatever he said onto, you know, the clients. But then, you know, I don't like talking the talk without walking the walk. So I started going to the gym and I would go with him and just follow him around and whatever he was doing, I would do it. Or else I'd take the the programs that he wrote and I would do those myself. And, um, and that's kind of how I got started. And what I realized was I was helping people tangibly helping people. And that's all I've ever really wanted to do. Um, and so with everything else that I've ever done, because I've done a lot, I've been a computer consultant and you, you, I mean, you name it. And then when I, when I was doing all these other jobs, I continued to do this on the side and, and I really enjoyed it. And I, and I not only enjoyed teaching it, I enjoyed participating. So at some point I, somebody told me I was strong, which was uh, a strange concept for me. And uh, then they convinced me to, um, to do some powerlifting. So I did that. And then I, I ended up with three national records in my weight class. And then got into strongman and other stuff. So, uh, it's been, it's been quite a trajectory from where I started. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, I find that really fascinating, right? Especially when you come from a background of everyone going the same path and it almost feels like that's the only path that you could choose. And it, mm -hmm. it's, it's something that I can even relate to as well when it comes to, you know, not specifically being super athletic, but trying as hard as you can and getting picked last in school. But then as you get older in life, I think, you, you pay, start paying attention to what's the one thing, even if I just do it on the side that is stuck all along, you know, that that's the same thing for myself with training and martial arts. And funny enough, during COVID, that's what I pivoted towards. So um, it's, it's, it's refreshing to say the least to hear that other people kind of, you know, have similar paths in that regard, right? This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Shop local. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. So it's just a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. I uh, want to kind of bring it to the attention of how someone can read um, the book that both of you have published, you know, like, is it one of those like read from beginning to end, or do I look at the table of contents and, and will it help me determine what my body type is by reading it? And then I just go, you know, take a full deep dive into that section. Um, if, if we can get both of you to share, like, what's the best way to read and digest this book and really have it make a difference in someone's life? Well, I mean, it is ultimately a textbook. Do you read a textbook from beginning to end? Not not necessarily. I mean, it's not like an official textbook. You know what I'm saying? But it's kind of written as such. So you don't know necessarily. It depends on where you're starting with your knowledge base. Um, so you read, I guess, the parts that you don't already have a knowledge base in. Um, 
or I, you could certainly read it from beginning to end because there is a trajectory of information in there. So it's kind of, uh, I think it depends on the reader. Mm -hmm. The thing about it is that we, we sort of design it in the, in the way with the thinking that every single person who puts their eyes or hands on this book will be able to take something away from it of benefit. And since we have it sort of structured that way, it makes it a kind of book that you can either read from front cover to back cover, or you can choose what things apply most directly to you or what certain movements you're looking for help with. There's a glossary of terms at the beginning. There's a glossary of terms or an exercise finder at the end as well. Um, these are all things that could make it a more of like a pick and choose selective kind of version of this book. However, like Melody was saying, there's, um, there is a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it, there, it does have a lot of continuity to it. So if you do read from one chapter to the next, you will see that continuity and uh, it will kind of build upon itself. So book is it's it's really a it's all serving and just because of the fact that you know the title strength training for all body types the science of lifting and levers that does two things that title says okay this is a all-encompassing mainstream reach kind of book so anyone can benefit but at the same time the science of lifting and levers there's a lot to learn here and there's a lot of educational reach to this as well it's got an academic edge to it as well so it can be used in you know, and uh, as an educational resource in an academic institution, just as well as it can be used as a guide for uh, a, a middle of the road client or lifter, uh, as a guide for an advanced lifter, as a guide for a trainer who's working with clients. It's it's all of these things. And that's how we really wanted it to turn out. And we were very happy that it successfully did so. So out of 288 pages and 14 chapters, there's definitely something that someone somewhere can benefit from, no matter who it is. And um, as far as answering your other question there about uh, can you determine what your body type is because of this book? Yes, you can. Uh, we definitely have that uh, termed out right in the first couple of chapters, just explaining things about, you know, height and proportions and what's considered average and uh, all those kinds of things and different ways to determine whether or not you would fall uh, on one side of a spectrum or toward another side of the spectrum, uh, depending on things like your height, your lever lengths, your arms and legs, your, your torso length, your your weight girth all that sort of stuff so you're uh you're really really getting uh, everything taken care of with this yeah you're definitely making it really easy and digestible for a reader i love how you mentioned that lee at any point someone's in in their journey of fitness they can gain value from this and you know, when you say it that way, it's something that I always like to say where I always wish there was like a belt grading system in a gym atmosphere, you know, um, for, for many reasons. But one in particular is uh, for everyone to respect and understand that there's levels to this shit, you know, like there's <laughs> there's the sense of being able to recognize that you have like every 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 single like moment in time of progressing through different phases when someone actually realizes that there's phases they have to go through in training um there's there's things you need to do as a beginner and then there's things you need to start progressing towards getting to your goal right so i find that when someone reads a book of this nature they can actually start to see specificity in their training and um i think that's something that both of you are are really honing in on with this is you know as, as a trainer talking to people in and around my gym it's it's shocking even to this day to hear that someone's just been doing the same program for two years. And, 
you know, like that's better than not moving at all. But for them to progress towards something, if they have a goal, they have to change things up or they have to do something specific to their body type. And just with like the years of experience both of you have, um, if I could bring it over to Melody and if, if, if you can kind of talk a little bit about maybe any time you've kind of had a client who's like been blown away by specificity training or even for yourself, just like if anyone's listening and they're starting to really think like, yeah, I need to be a little specific with the way I do my training as opposed to just lifting for the sake of lifting. Um, and I know this is something that a lot of trainers talk about, but if you can bring to light why it's important to have customization in your programming. Well, first of all, I don't necessarily agree that doing the same program for two years is a bad thing. Mm. Because when you're trying to get good at something, you have to do a lot of that thing. That's how you get strong at it. And so to me, you progress in a program for as long as that program lets you progress. When you're no longer progressing, then you can change. But for me, it's like you do, you just do what's working. And if it's not working, then obviously you need to change. But if it's working, why fix it? You know, Um, so I I personally do, you know, I, I train specifically for whatever competition I'm training for and for the sports that I do, the lifts change, um, you know, in strongman and in grip sport, you don't always have the same implements. And that's the main reason why my programming changes as much as it does. But when I was a power lifter, my programming was pretty standard. It was, you know, I might change it up in the accessories a little bit, but you're training, you know, squat, bench, deadlift every single week. Yeah, that's um, fair. It's just a matter of volume and what volume works for you. And I have found that my body responds to certain types of volume work over others. And so that's kind of the hole that I, the niche that I dig for myself. Um, I, when I change it out from that, I don't get the same results. So um, yeah, so it, it just depends. But where specificity comes in is really in how you're lifting, because the idea is to make those lifts optimal for your body. So, you know, me being a a little short, you know, stumpy person, I'm, I'm pretty well built for a lot of strength training because nothing's going to travel that far on my body. Um, But, you know, for somebody who has really, like, I have a client who's just like legs up to his neck um, and he's got to be six, seven, I think, or six, eight. um, And trying to deadlift or, or even squat for him is a, is an ordeal because he's not only long legged, he's long shinned. And so when he squats, knees are everywhere, just knees everywhere, you know, and so we have to kind of play around with different positions to figure out what works best for his body, because he's not going to look like I do when I deadlift. And one of the one of the things that kind of got me and Lee doing this book was we we did a video um, that he posted on his social media that where he was doing a few different movements, and then I did the same movements. And then we did a side by side. So you can see how he looks and I look when we do it. And it's just just a matter of just time spent doing the lift. It's night and day, you know, so you, there's there's just a lot of things that go into how much work is being put into the movement and just kind of adjusting your limbs in such a way that that movement becomes more efficient for your body. Yeah, that's a good point. And I understand that. I'm glad you brought that up where it's, it's not a bad thing to do the same thing over and over again, but it may not be the movement that's being changed, but how it's being done, like rep and set scheme, tempo, you know, rest times, like everything in between. Right. So that is a great point. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Lee? 
Um, yeah, like uh, I sort of echo a lot of what was said here. So as far as, um, you know, repetition and, and practice by way of repetition in order to get a certain result. Um, yeah, you you don't fix what's not broken. And if something does not serve you after a period of time, then that's when it's time to change things up. Now, with that said, I do like um, the idea of diversifying training, the idea of uh, a middle of the road client, like I was talking about before, or somebody who's an average Joe who's not training for a competition or something along those lines, um, to have uh, some form of a rounded out uh, baseline of, of athletic capability or of fitness uh, goals that they go for. So maybe they do want to build muscle and that's good and they do it, or they do want to uh, drop body fat and that's good and they do it, or they do want to get stronger and that's good and they do it. You know, is there no ceiling to how much of those things they want, or do they really want to maybe consider other aspects of their fitness as well? Because, you know, body composition, um, strength, and, um, you know, hypertrophy, even though that's not one of them, but those are only three things. And there are many, many more things to consider, right? And with each of those three goals, you're also giving yourself a trade-off of a loss of other elements of your fitness to go along with that as well. For example, if you want to gain a whole lot of strength or size, then you might be forfeiting some of your muscular endurance or cardiorespiratory capacity or flexibility. You know, the, these things can happen. So uh, with that being said, uh, considering all 11 of the components of health and skill-related fitness can and, and really should be uh, something that goes on the mind of somebody, especially if they're going up in age uh, and they don't have anything to compete for. They're kind of a, a regular person, an average Joe, a middle-of-the-road client. And um, with that being said, I do think that um, having an eye toward different variations within a program, within a uh, exercise routine, within a certain exercise. So like Melody was saying, you know, you got the squat example. That's a loaded squat pattern. But it doesn't mean that you have to do barbell back squats every time or even a safety bar squat, which is great every time. You know, there's front back, overhead, zercher, Cossack, you know, you can keep on going and going with different squat variations that still train some version of the same base pattern, right? So even if your program just makes those lateral shifts toward other versions of the same movement, hey, you're still respecting and appreciating that base pattern, but you get to throw in some variety. Even if you're stuck back squatting or if you're stuck safety bar squatting, okay, well, there's safety bar squatting for sets of three versus sets of 15, there's safety bar squatting with tempos of four second negatives and a pause at the bottom, or there's safety bar squatting for speed, right? And so we can go to boxes or we could go to parallel or we could go, there's all kinds of different ways that we can sort of, you know, play around with this. And that's the whole point, right? And and finding those variations, especially when they start speaking toward what your body type tells you about what is the most comfortable, what is going to help you stay uninjured and do this the right way and do this well and make progressions. Um, that's the way to go. And that's the way to think about this. So in my opinion, it's going to create a little bit more of a rounded fit person if they start thinking about all of the things that I just talked about, including diversifying training goals uh, from maybe different phases of the year, let's say, maybe the first half of the year, they're focused on strength and size. And then the next half, they're focused more on conditioning and maybe mobility stuff or, or whatever it is, right? And uh, those kinds of things can go a long way for helping somebody last the test of time with this stuff. And um, yeah, with with the assistance of things that we include in this book, uh, regarding our body types and just being more cognizant of what's going to speak best to it, what's going to play to those strengths and what's going to not work against our weaknesses. We're going to go uh, a long way and we're going to be healthy and happy while we do it. And uh, also the average, the average person is also 
like doesn't gets bored pretty easily. I shall say. Um, I think especially with the advent of uh, smartphones and computers and things, our attention spans have gotten pretty diminished. And so people do appreciate variety just for the sake of keeping themselves interested in their in their training. Yeah, I, I, you're reading my mind, Melody, because a lot of what was said there with the, the plethora of knowledge you both have in exercise selection is we're doing the same thing. We're causing the same stimulus by just slightly changing things around. I love how like Lee worded, like it's a, it's a parallel, you know, it's a lateral move as far as progression goes, but it's still something that's going to service their beginning goal. And you're absolutely right about that melody. Like I've got clients of mine at our club where they will say to the trainer, like, as long as I'm not bored, as long as you change the workouts around, like it, it's going to make me show up even more. And then of course there's this conversation where it's like, well, why change it? If it's working so well, when to a degree it's, you make these minor shifts by working the same stimulus and then everyone's happy. Right. Yeah. Most of, most of my training is like some kind of press, some kind of squat, some kind of lunge, some kind of pull. And then, and then we really vary up the the accessories on that. Um, and that's kind of where, where they get the most variety. But even if my clients are doing like, well, we'll do a press with a one arm press with a kettlebell and then we'll do a two arm press with dumbbells. Like that's still variety and, uh, and you're still pressing overhead, but it's, um, but it's different implement. It's two arms instead of one. It's uh, and, and it's enough variety that people are like, okay, that's something different. Definitely. Yep. No, I agree. And as we, as we call them, right. Our primary movements or, you know, our, um, you know, foundation lifts, what, you know, the, the, the big eight, right. Those are, those are elements that definitely should be involved in someone's programming when it comes to strength. Right. And I find that's why it's so exciting where unless someone's goal is tremendously changed, then, um, you know, that's something that you want to constantly communicate with the client to see that it's working. So great stories are timeless. To be a great storyteller, one must bridge the gap between an alluring narrative and the audience, to pull with the heartstrings, and to shape the imagination. At Q Films Media, we're more than just a media production agency. We are a powerhouse of creative individuals, content creators, who specialize in telling great stories. Stories that are intimate and kept closest to the heart. Stories that are powerful and inspiring, that spark boldness and action. We are Q Films Media. We're here to tell your story. We are always unseen. Um, based off that, I'm wanting to kind of dive into... Uh, you know, something that I find is a debatable topic in our industry, because, you know, here we are with a client that would need to learn how to do these movements effectively. And then we have a lot of beginner clients, maybe they've never stepped into a gym, or they've only really had like, you know, novice experience one or two years, they've never worked with a trainer, and they have an online trainer approach them. And I'm just wondering where your mindsets are at between like, the pros and cons and benefits of working with an online trainer in comparison to working with um, a trainer in person. And I know many trainers now do both. And um, it's, it's a great way to be able to still change and help uh, many more lives. 
But what's your guys' personal take on um, if someone like myself were to go in, I'm brand new and have a personal trainer, online trainer, and I'm debating what decision I should make. What are some things that I have to really consider based off this decision? Well, oh, the best, oh go ahead. Lee. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say like, it definitely depends on the quality of the training that they're going to receive and the trainer they're going to receive because trainers online, they, they might do it differently. They might um, choose different routes as to how they're going to do it. There's some people who might stay right there on zoom or whatever it is and they'll watch the actual session so it's synchronous and they're they're right there with the client other people you know make a generic program for somebody and leave them to their own devices and say okay i'm going to check in with you other people might make a customized program that's something that i do and and uh base it off of a uh, detailed you know not only a questionnaire that's being answered so i get some information but also more intake by way of watching videos of their major lifts troubleshooting those videos providing feedback and then from there, I can sort of feel comfortable to create something that's customized for them and their goals. So it really depends on how that uh, client is sort of going about it or sorry, how the trainer is going about it. But on the client side, I do say this is that 90%, 95% of the online clients that I work with in the fashion that I just described, um, they're not beginners. They're, they're very rarely complete beginners to exercise and to fitness. And I, I would be... I'd be a little bit ambivalent toward working with complete beginners in an in a non in an impersonal way because they're the ones who need the most hands-on in-person advice from the start. And uh what what that means is that like most of the people who I work with that are online, and actually I'll say all of the people that I work with that are online at this current time, um they've been there's a reason why they're seeking out advice online or they're seeking out a program online, they're seeking out help online. It's because there's already a certain level of discipline. There's a certain amount of understanding of the whole thing that they already have because of the time they've spent working out in the first place, the time they spent maybe being a little bit more studious than the average person would be in terms of uh, trying to educate themselves about, you know, who to seek out, what this kind of, what's good training, what's not good training, what's gimmicky and what's, what's trendy versus what's actually like, you know, good information. And uh, those are the kinds of people that tend to reach out to somebody like myself anyway. And so a person who's looking for, you know, something that's a really, really quick fix or something that's very gimmicky or something that costs $49.95 and that's it, you know, those kinds of things and those kinds of people, they're looking for the corners to cut. They're looking for the easy answers. They're looking for the generic program, the popcorn trainers. And uh, that's unfortunately, well, I mean, very fortunately, to be honest with you, that's not what I am and not what any of my colleagues that I tend to spend time with are. And so it it doesn't really, it doesn't speak to those people. So when somebody is going for that, uh, it's more concomitant. Like those are the, the beginners who are going to sort of reach out for a lot of personal training stuff online and virtual coaching. They are the ones who kind of tend to go toward that gimmicky stuff or the quick stuff. They are not really the ones who are going to go after a strength coach, not often anyway. And I've found that in my own stuff myself. Um, yeah. And so because of that, I guess those gimmicky ones kind of still exist because they, in a way, they kind of prey on those people. They, they, they get, those are the exact people that they can pull one over on and say, yeah, the shake weight is going to be the best thing for you. This is what's going to give you the answers to all your fitness questions and all that stuff and whatever other gimmicky, trendy, fast, quick fitness things that are very generic and you're not even speaking to the real person and all that stuff. And yeah, that's just, 
It's not how I've done it. And that's what I find as far as advice for a complete beginner. I would say if you're debating between going online and going with the in-person, I'd always say in-person, online, no matter who we are, me, Melody, whoever else you want to name, we are going to be the next best option to in-person if we're offering online coaching. Only the second best option. Nothing beats having a physical trainer in front of you. They could physically adjust you, give you tactile cues, tactile information, all that stuff. And so um, that's that's the way to go. Uh, use the online stuff as a second best. I understand that it's probably less expensive than being in person, uh, but it's a lot more of a screening process that you're probably going to have to go through in order to make sure that the coaching you're getting from an impersonal standpoint is going to be the right coaching for you and good coaching in, in general with quality. Yeah, I love that, Lee. I mean, like for starters, something that really sticks out to me there is like, once again, like just going back to who are we helping, right? Like if this person has experience in the gym, then of course we can entertain the idea of being online. But I love the recommendation that if you're brand new, there has to be some sort of in-person involvement. And I think the scary thing is now, I'm not too sure if you guys are getting pushed this on your end. I certainly have. And I'll be honest with this. I actually bought into it. I went through it. It was one of my first experiences in the industry. I actually bought into a $7,000 investment learning how to online coach. And don't get me wrong, it was, I'll own it, worthwhile doing. But now being two and a half years into the industry and pivoting from going fully online to going fully in person, I just noticed how much it's like, they treat it like a get rich quick scheme where it's like, let's help people as quick as possible. Let's create programs and let's have them do it. And let's make you uh, 10K a month. And it's like, it just... The whole persona and the energy attached to that completely takes away from how can I help this person with where they're at right now, as opposed to making that cookie cutter program. And I, I think that's important to just address now, because again, that's such a shift in mindset from where I was at in the beginning from like, oh, I need this to replace my day job that I did pre-COVID and I love fitness. And here's someone that can teach me how to do it online to, hey, let's go back to intention. I'm doing this to generally help someone out. And yeah, if someone does have experience and I, I love how you said it, like, what questions are you asking? What questionnaire do you have in front of them? As opposed to being like, hey, you want to lose 20 pounds? Here you go. Here's this program. And instead of doing that, like really getting to know your client's body. And that's something like what your guys' book is providing for people. Yeah. Yeah, 100% what uh, in agreement with what Lee said. Um, I the, the way that I do online training is, is very similar to the way that Lee does in that, you know, I provide them with video of how to do everything. I write custom programs for everyone who comes to me. And then I also do video chats <clears throat> on form and, and stuff like that. Um, so I, I have worked with beginners online and I will say it's less than ideal. Um, but I can see where it would be kind of an attractive thing. So I, I kind of had this thought about um, people, for instance, who join a gym for New Year's. Because people have asked me, are like, are you super busy like the first of the year? No, I'm not. I'm not because I own a small personal training studio. And if you are paying someone to be there in person for you, you have to show up. Whereas if you get a gym membership, you have an out. You don't have to go. And it's kind of like that. If you're paying someone to, for online programs once a month, no one's going to make you do it. It's kind of up to you if you do it. So in a way there's, you know, it's not as much of a financial investment and there's an out. 
So I feel like in person holds you accountable the most, you know, um, and, and aside from all the other benefits of, of being in person with someone, you have someone there waiting for you. And if you don't show up, you still have to pay for the session. And, and so that I think um, scares a lot of people off, you know, uh, whereas online training, there's a lot of benefits to it. Like, number one, you don't have to be beholden to anybody else's schedule. So you can train whenever you want to, you can, you know, you can take as long as you want or as, or as short an amount as, as you want when you're doing your training, things like that. So that is a really nice thing. If you are someone who is more independent, I think it's kind of nice if you don't like, like people watching you, things like that. Cause there are a lot of people who don't feel good having someone watch them. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's all, you know, very, very viable reasons to get an online coach. Um, and of course it is more cost effective and, and not everybody has personal, you know, in, in person, personal trainer money. Um, so, you know, that can be a, that can be a good financial option for people, but then I think it comes down to number one, how the movements, how, how well the movements are being taught and that communication between the client and the coach so that you can do the best possible to kind of help them with their form and everything so i think that's really what it comes down to with that and yeah i agree like there are two different price tags right and when you look at the end of the day online coaching can perhaps be more affordable for individuals but i love how you know when we take what you just mentioned there with what lee said where it's like well what exactly is the online program because people here online they have i mean they could that could be anything are check-ins happening? Is it just customized programs, right? Like what exactly is it? Am I being offered? You know, even like, Hey, send me videos and footage of you and let me dissect it. Lee brought up that point too, or it's like just really getting an idea of what investment you're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've uh, worked with uh, a, like a handful of beginner beginners. Like I've got no experience doing this whatsoever. Can you sort of start me from ground zero? There have been people I've been doing online coaching since 2000. 12, I think. So there have been people who have uh, come to me in that in that sort of vein and probably about maybe four or five total. So once every few years it happens. And I think that all but one ended up being like a solid experience slash client and, and so on, um, which speaks exactly to Melody's point. Like the accountability factor is lower on these kinds of people. The motivation level might be high at the very beginning where they fall off very quickly when they might notice that things take some time before results happen, or this takes consistent amounts of effort. That's very difficult at times to do. And um, they, they fall off, you know, and then you're doing your weekly check-ins and then you're not getting emails in response and all kinds of things like that. Or, you know, you get questions for, you know, exercise, you know, breakdowns or how to do this properly or whatnot. And, you know, the frustration becomes mutual because, you know, someone just might not be understanding what you're trying to say and you're not there with them and all that stuff. So it can get a little bit uh, where you, you realize that they you're, I'm not what they need. What they need is me to be physically in front of them and not all the way here in Toronto, whereas they're in wherever they are, Dallas. Right. And so, um, yeah, it, it definitely, it takes away from, probably the enjoyment of the the whole experience. And um, yeah, even though it's cost effective, they might be better off just making the greater investment toward if they can 
they can swing it, you know, get into the uh, in-person training. Because I'm sure that even like a halfway bad trainer would do a lot more for them than a great online coach would if they can't spot them or cue them or anything like that from all the way over here. Yeah, that really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say like that really got me thinking where like the joy and uh, you could say creativity of creating a hybrid program. Right. Where it's like, yeah, you are very new at this. So, you know, what I suggest is let's just say like budgeted accordingly, you do end up, you know, um, creating a program where it's like you do need to see me in person. You're getting the financial objections and it's like, hey, well, let's do in person. Like, let's work with one another for the first six to eight weeks. Let me show you like how to ensure you're doing the basics properly. And then we could switch to an online program from there where like at least you and the client feel like there's this sense of um, progression that's going to be done in a way where first the basics are really honed in on because now you're not hurting your client or you're not too upset or worried about them not doing things properly. Right. And then there's also people who are just like, well, I know I live in New Zealand, but I want to train with Lee boys. And that's how they, that's how they can train with Lee boys. So. Exactly. No, I know the proximity is huge because then it's like, you want to be able to capitalize on people that just aren't in your city. Right. Mm -hmm. I um I really want to kind of pick your guys' brain about, you know, I, I see this a lot with trainers that begin. And, you know, part of what I do is I work in a commercial gym space. I onboard, I develop skill sets, and I, um you know, help grow the business of our personal trainers from day one on to, you know, them being five plus years into the business and being perfectly happy and content with their existing client roster. So all the way from the beginning, I see this is obviously very case by case, but I'm wondering from both your guys' perspective, like what's like some things you'd want to share? Cause I really feel like we're going to, we're going to get a lot of like, who's going to get a lot of value from this episode is people that are thinking about becoming a trainer or they're already existing trainers. And when you're brand new, everyone kind of struggles with what pace they should be at, right? Like what they should be doing with their time, how many clients they should be gaining at a point till they hit a wall. And sometimes that wall is like a fatigue wall. It's like, Hey, I'm burnt out. I now have to figure out how to program for five different individuals. Like, great. I onboarded them, but now I got to manage their life and their health. Right. So there's that overwhelming sense of like, what do I do in this case? And I just want to pick your brain about like, what do you think is the appropriate pace This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund with yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on making ends meet in Edmonton. Learn more at ecfoundation.org. I think that uh, doing, uh, when you're getting started in the first one to three months of being a trainer, it's it's an interesting thing because I part of it is also, like I got started in the fitness industry when I was 20 years old, right? And so... I had all of the energy in the world at that time from 20 till about 24, I would say it was crazy how much volume I actually put into hours spent on the gym floor. I now I'm 36. I can't 
And when I think back about it, I really, and I'm being honest, like dead in the eyes right now, like I can't believe what I was doing back then because I would have 13 client days, sometimes 14 client days where I'd be there from 7 a.m. and I'd be leaving at 10 p.m. and I'd have one hour to either decide to eat or train myself and that would be it. And like, you know, a standard day for me was like 10 or 11 clients, you know, and 160 sessions that I'm logging every single month, that kind of thing. It was crazy volume. And today I'm seeing, you know, if I have four in a day, that's enough. Like that's more than enough. Right. So like things have really changed depending on like what your responsibilities are, what your age is, what kind of things you have that are going on in your life um, by comparison, you know, but um I will say this is that for somebody who's sort of looking to plot plot out or plan out how they time manage and how they manage clients at the beginning of their careers, um, I do say with like a little bit of a you know grain of salt that trying to get that experience, trying to put yourself out there, trying to be available for a little bit more than what you might normally be available for is a good thing, you know. You have to tread the line carefully because there's always a chance that you're going to burn out. And that happened to me. It happened to a lot of people around me as well when you're cranking out all those hours and so on. So you have to treat yourself with respect, with your body, with your respect and so on, too, uh, so that you can actually recover and help service people properly. But um, with all that said, if you can make yourself a little bit more available, just have a little bit more outreach, go a little bit above and beyond where you can help that extra client on the gym floor if necessary, maybe do that one free hour with a client to make a new session out of it or something like that. Those kinds of things can go a really long way, not only for getting yourself busy and so on and making yourself a more um, capable trainer and a busier trainer and making yourself more money too, but also for networking purposes, for building contacts. When you're around the environment more, and you have maybe other trainers who are working on staff that you can now learn from too, and you're being seen more by the membership base and all of that stuff, given that you do work at a commercial gym that's busy enough, you're going to benefit from that. And I personally definitely benefited from that exact approach, partially from not even knowing that I'm doing it either. I was just a young, passionate guy doing the thing. And so I was around. I was always there. I had lots of clients and I was going on the floor helping people and you know, someone wants a free session. Okay, I'll give them a free session. And then it turn it into a set of 20 sessions and so on, right? And so these are these are the things that I really recommend. And of course, treading the line and making sure that you're not running the risk of burning yourself out, giving yourself the time you need for recovery, giving yourself the time you need to be able to train yourself and be a disciple of your own craft and uh, eat <laughs> and other things like that. So that's that's what my recommendation would be in terms of managing clients for... Um, you know, programming and, and helping with the quality of your own uh, work that you're doing for the client as well, going overboard can start diminishing that, right? So you don't want to have, you know, so many clients that all of a sudden, and I've seen this, and I've been guilty of it as well, where every client of your eight or 10 client day ends up doing exactly the same workout, because it's the flavor of the day, and you don't have to do any sort of extra work, because you're just too, too busy and too burnt out to really even think. So then everyone's doing squat, everyone's doing rear foot elevated split squat, everyone's doing half kneeling shoulder press afterwards with a single dumbbell, and it doesn't matter what their goals are, right? So we don't want to fall into that category or fall down into that trap. So it's important to just strike that balance, make yourself available, give yourself the time you need as well. And uh, if you can do a little bit of uh, above and beyond stuff at the beginning of your career, it's going to benefit you. 
I love that. That flavor of the day concept. So huge. Cause that's exactly what I did when I began. I was like, okay, flavor of the day. This is what I'm going to try out. And when you're not as educated, you tend to lean on that. So I think to your point with that, Lee, is it just shows the respect you need to give yourself to book yourself in, you know, like that admin time, that study time, that like closed door locked in. I've got my face glued to my computer screen and I'm ready to program for my day or my week or my month for my clients, depending on where they're at. I find that so important in the beginning because let's face it, you are going to need to have more time spent doing those things because you are so new, you know? So I'm really glad you said, said that. And even like just knowing your energy levels, I think what's so beautiful about what, what we do is we want to help people so much that I think the whole eight hour day concept kind of goes out the window with what we do. Like, don't get me wrong. There might be days where you're working 10, 12 hour days, another day four of like billable hour time with working with the client, but just seeing how full your tank is. If you can go more in a day, then, then use that to your advantage in the beginning. Um, I am all about balance, but I do know in the beginning, it's like anyone that starts off in real estate or becomes an entrepreneur. I feel like a trainer really needs to go in with that mindset. You are unlikely to get rich as a personal trainer, and you're even more unlikely to get rich in your first one to three years. <laughs> so I think that's important for people to realize, because I think sometimes people think of it as an easy way to make a living. I, I, there were there were times I didn't know if I was going to be able to pay for rent, and I worked my ass off. Um, so it's not like quick money, and it's certainly not easy, and it's not predictable. Because you don't know how many of your clients are going to show up any week, any week. There's going to be people who are sick, people who had to go travel, people who had a death in the family. There are uh, people who just decide they, they're going to quit. You know, like you, uh, you don't know what one week, one day to the next is going to look like, let alone week to week. So your income is going to be unpredictable and you have to be okay with that. So that's thing number one. Thing number two how much money do you need to live your life? And I'm talking basics. How much money do you need in order to pay rent, pay for your food, you know, whatever your grocery bill happens to be on average every week? How much money do you need for utilities and your, your basic, you know, basic entertainment stuff, whatever you generally get done in a month that isn't like super extra crazy? Like, what do you need to make for that? You plan how many clients you're going to need on average in order to make that happen, is that realistic for you? If that's not realistic for you, you may want to think about doing this part-time and, and take a job that pays, you know, reliably um, on top of it. Um, that's, those are, uh, that's a, that's a hard thing to face sometimes, but ultimately you have to be able to pay for your, pay for your life you know, and, uh, and you have to be able to do that with what you're doing. Um, most personal trainers, uh, the last statistic that I saw on it was burnout within the first seven years. Um, so it's because it's a constant hustle. You, you have to put yourself out there over and over and over again. And at some point you're going to do well with word of mouth. If you're a good trainer, I get, I don't advertise at all. I get most of my clients word of mouth. Um, and every once in a while, I'll put like a social media post in the neighborhood just saying, hey, did you know I exist? Um, but uh, for the most part, uh, word of mouth. But at the beginning, you nobody knows who you are. You have to hustle. You have to get yourself out there. You're going to probably have to work more than most people. But if you are not sleeping, if you are not eating well, if you are, you know, 
if, if you're not um, working out yourself and taking care of your body, you're going to be a crappy trainer because you have to be present for your clients. So. Yeah, I love that. I call those the four pillars, right? And these are things that I'm really happy that Precision Nutrition really nails on. Um, you know, I mean, I'm amongst my third certification with them now. And it's just honing in on that point, Melody, where it's like, how are you managing your stress levels? How's your nutrition? How's your sleep? And how's your overall movement? And as a trainer, you're preaching these things to the choir. You know, you're you're talking about these habits that you want your client to instill both inside the gym and outside so they can get to their goal. But then it's crazy how so quickly trainers may feel as they're getting busier that they were they'll, they'll go last on the list. But it's uh, it's one of those things that can be very counterproductive when that happens, where it's like it's very easy to tell once a trainer's not getting those four things in. And I know that really resonates with Lee, too, or even <laughs> you guys were saying, like, eat, like get your food in. Because I remember when I would wear my whoop strap religiously when I first started training and I would take a look at it by the end of the day after, like, you know, pumping out four consultations, you know, training my two clients and having my two hours of, you know, looking at what I need to do for my next hire, like everything I was doing was me moving and and expending energy i'd look and i'd be like holy shit like i i burned five thousand calories today but i think what a lot of traders don't realize is, is they're actively showing uh their clients movements and doing different things and and, and like actually like <laughs> moving all day you are putting so much out there so that eight plus hours of sleep and eating well is so imperative right one of the things that uh, Melody brought up at the beginning of uh, the last thing that she that she pointed out was uh, important because she was talking about how trainers can have clients that are, it's an unstable business and that trainers could have clients who you know are sick or that they could uh, you know just stop or whatever. All those different uh, circumstances can can befall a, a personal trainer, uh, especially if they're doing their own thing and they you know maybe they worked with the gym for a bit and then they don't have that feed of new clients they're getting given. So that's one thing for sure. But it's important for whoever is young trainer who's who's paying attention to this uh, to this interview right now because the other thing that we have to remember within that or under that umbrella is that the first thing to go for a lot of training clients when times change or things get tough for them or they're in a crisis or whatever, the first thing that's going to go is their personal training. It's a luxury. It's not a necessity. As much as we'd like to say it is for, you know, the purists who are in here, that it's a necessary thing and that you have to do it. And it's, you know, that's fine, but it's a luxury for 98% of people who are out there. And so if it's between that and, you know, keeping their kid in school or keeping their whatever it is, they're going to nix the personal training and that's going to be it. So all of a sudden you can have somebody, let's say you have a married couple or something like that. They both train with you three times per week, right? Well, guess what? You just lost 24 sessions per month if they decide to drop off, right? Just like that. So it's just, it's a harsh example, but it just goes to show just how volatile the industry is, the nature of the business, and uh, how much of a hustle game you really have to do, how much of a hustle game you have to, to, to put into it. And if you're not up for that, or if you're not really somebody who's inclined to that, then it might not be the industry that's quite right for you. And that's, again, it's a bitter pill, hard, uh, hard pill to swallow, but it might be the truth. Maybe you just could fulfill your desire to uh, help people on the side and lift yourself and, you know, help out your friends as well for free. I don't know, but, uh, might not be for everybody. Yeah, it's so true. This, uh, it, I love how it real we're being in this conversation because it, 
it's definitely not something that's for everyone. And I think I've unfortunately have had to witness that where I take a chance or risk on someone who literally is telling me that, oh, like, it seems good. I want to help people. So I just want to try it. But I think it's really important that we're having this conversation. So people really know beyond just Googling what a role is like as a trainer, like what it's really like, you know. That's a strange culture, I think, um, because there's, you know, I, I kind of try to surround myself with good people. Um, but to be honest, like, I don't have a ton of personal trainer friends because there's a lot of ego. There's not a lot of substance behind the ego. It's a lot of narcissism. And then there's just weird sense of for obviously this isn't like every trainer that I'm, but, but there, there is a, an element of power in that relationship that some certain people feed on. And I've noticed a trend in our industry where that type of personality becomes very, very popular. Um, and and it's it's a very toxic, um, disturbing trend that I've seen where these these people who find this power in dictating what you should do with your life become these kind of influencers. You know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, it's, it's an interesting culture because it, it brings in very different types of people. Um, and uh, but there but there is this element of. Um, narcissism and, and ego there too and and you can't really seem to get away from it you know oh, it's so true i'm really glad you brought that up melody i mean well, welcome to one of the toughest parts about my job when it comes to managing a team culture of trainers <laughs> you know like i completely resonate with that where you know i walked into a, a a bigger club when i went from the smallest location to the largest in um the good life location that i manage and at the time, there were seven trainers right when COVID was still kind of in the midst of like uncertainty and majority of the team was planning on leaving. But a big thing that I had to work on was cohesion and and just an, a sense of like uh, trust and a sense of like pride and in, in, in one another respecting who they are. Because it's like, hey, I'm a trainer. I worry about my clients. I'm in and out. To get everyone together in the room was like already so tough to do sometimes, but it's a lot of like what I've seen and heard is, oh, I don't like what so-and-so is doing with their client. I would never do that. Or I'm going on vacation and I say, hey, let's buddy up your clients with another trainer. Oh, no, I wouldn't trust any other of these trainers with my client. They don't like what they're doing, their persona, what they're preaching. No, not what I would do. And it's it, yes, I get it. Excuse me. I get it. Everyone does have back to Lee's point, different flavors, different approaches, but um, it is, yeah. Kind of coming with that sense of like, I would never show them that I would never do that. What are they thinking doing this with their client? They're going to injure their client. And it's like, it's nice to hear and see that everyone cares about how we all look as trainers. Cause they're always saying, Oh, someone looking from the outside in, they're going to think we're all like that. But it's like, why not instead of pointing the finger at somebody if we do have an opinion, instead of going and crying wolf telling me, let's create a culture of, hey, man, that's cool that you were showing your client that. You mind sharing with me what the why was behind it? What's the client's goal? You know, okay, awesome. Can I also show you something that I think will help them? That, what I noticed about trainers is they're like, oh, no, 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 no conflict. You're the manager. That's your job. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like I, I'm such a like interesting relationship with that where I just wish we were 
you know, here we are trying to help people. Wouldn't you argue that we will be that much more likely to help others when we could go to another trainer that's responsible for 12 to 20 people and be able to kind of let them know openly what we would do in a situation without it being conflicting? You know what I mean? This industry is really, really bad for exactly what you just pointed out. And it's really it's stemming from egos and dogmatism a lot of the time. Right. And so uh, I find this on the Internet the most, especially as somebody who puts out content literally every single day, um, whether it's an Instagram post, whether it's being published in an article, whether it's something else, whether it's making a tweet that's just text. These things can get scrutinized like crazy. But what's worse is when you see differences in opinion that exists on the Internet and the immediate reaction or the immediate response is to become combative. Right. It's not an actual you'd always see when somebody has an agenda of trying to start something rather than actually wanting to have a discourse, have a discussion, even just the decision to do it by by way of DM versus doing it on this public forum so that every, it's just it's ridiculous. The other thing is the method or the manner in which the information is delivered on the post itself or in the information itself that can come with a certain arrogance or an attitude or an air in and of itself. and. That right there can deter so many people from the content. What I mean is when somebody wants to be a, okay, I'm known for this, whatever it is, let's say neck training, I don't know. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to post this information on a neck training or whatever. But when I post it, I'm going to be very, very obnoxious with my character that I put out there so that it only appeals to a certain group of people or a certain niche of people rather than saying, okay, you know what? My actual intention is to help as many people as possible. And if my goal is to help as many people as possible, shouldn't the method of delivery, the mode of delivery, the the manner of delivery, shouldn't those things matter too? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't it be more encouraging for more people to pay attention, give an ear, and so on, and hopefully follow along? That's kind of the attitude that I've always respected myself. And it's the attitude that I think that I'll find will probably attract the most people to what you have to say. And if it's not like that, then it only leads me to believe that the information you're giving, it's not about the information and it's more about you. And um, to me, that's a real big standout. And I think that the internet has a lot to do with probably even these days has a lot to do with how people are behaving in the cultures that you're describing there in gym cultures, that is, you know, and uh, I really think there's probably a lot of carryover. Oh, I wouldn't. A person who's a person who's saying, oh, I wouldn't want to uh, make this person work out with this client, with this trainer over here because uh, I don't trust them or whatever. Like, you should be thrilled that that client is still looking to continue working out while you're not around. If you if you're gone away for three weeks on vacation and they say, okay, who should I train with in the, in, instead? That should be a great thing to hear. Or if they went on vacation, they said, yeah, I picked up a few sessions with the trainer while I was down there. Do you get all angry? Do you say, oh, what are they doing? Bastardizing my stuff. Or do you say, hey, that's great. That's great to hear that you stayed with it, kept consistent, and you invested in more help. Fantastic. That's the way and the attitude that I've always tried to adopt, um, you know, at least past the age of, let's say, 21, where I was just a kid and not really being too uh, <laughs> too fair or smart about that stuff. But uh, yeah, no, like it's it's very important that we adopt an adjusted mindset toward all this. Love that, Lee. I, I think that's that's so crucial to the behaviors you want to be praising when your client is is so willing to still work out in some capacity while another person's there supporting them. You know, like that. Once again, let's talk about ego, and that's something that can really come in the way. 
And uh, that, that kind of leads me to wanting to mention, you know, of course, just on this topic, as we wrap this up, I think with anyone listening to this and they're paying attention to them acting that way, I think strategically what they could do is first be aware that that might be the case. And secondly, be a part of that change, you know, asking yourself as a trainer or anyone in the health industry is what can I do between the four walls that I work in? How can I be more a part of adopting, uh, let's just say, uh, a more positive culture beyond the clients I'm responsible for? Because I, I think everyone's a part of that change. And I'll leave it at that with that part, because I find this next topic, uh, you know, going into our last one here is uh, kind of related to what we're talking about, where trainers or anyone in the health industry will uh, attach themselves so closely to the client on purpose and make them feel like they have to be with them forever. And don't get me wrong from a financial perspective, from a, oh, I don't have to look for another client perspective. Yes, there's benefits to that. But I'm a big believer in there being an expiry date for your client. I think there's there's um, something to say about, hey, like I'm, I'm going to applaud the day. You're going to have enough confidence and you're going to have enough knowledge to be able to go into the gym on your own and know what needs to get done. And along the way, if you still need to see me, I'm there. There's no shame in that, but like, let's get you to that point. And I just wanted to know your guys's perspective, you know, being pioneers in the industry for honestly more than a decade, you know, for more than 20 years combined. Um, how do you feel about like how long a client should stay with a trainer for and, and being able to celebrate the fact that um, they're going to be on their own? And, and what is that ideal timeline if you do have one in mind? I don't think there is a should, you know, um, not everybody is training with me for the education. A lot of people are training with me because they like that environment or they, I know I train harder when I have a coach. And so I hire coaches, um, for, for what I do. Um, there's, um, I think there's, there's reasons why people would want to only do it for a short time. And there's reasons why people would never want to not have a trainer. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either one of those scenarios. I've had clients who've been with me for almost the entirety of my career. Um, and they just like the environment. And, uh, and, and, and they know they will not do it <laughs> unless they have an appointment. So that's fine. There's not, that's not bad or wrong or there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I don't necessarily agree that everyone has to have an expiry date. I think it's great if people learn so much from you that they feel confident and go to the gym on their own. I have a lot of my, a lot of my longtime clients express that that's something that they're excited about because when they go on travel, they, they know what to do when they go work out, but they want to come back because they, they like the environment. So it just kind of depends really on the person. It's a good point. I like using the uh, the the same thing that I always say is like, you know, you take two treadmills, put people on them. The reason why the person is running on the treadmill next to me isn't the same reason why I'm running on the treadmill next to that person. And uh, it, it really runs true a whole lot because there are so many different reasons that people what what people's why is for exercise in the first place and for fitness. You know, it can go from anything from a certain particular goals to uh, performance for a meet to mental health and feeling more calm because they do this. You know, it can be a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, when you throw in personal training into the mix where now you have a coach, again, I've had clients that have been with me since 2010, I would say. Now it's 2023. So I've had clients for a long time as well. And those clients, I mean, they've learned 
enough that I like, I'm not going to teach them anything brand spanking new, like every single session, no way. But again, things like a healthy push, things like, um, you know, the camaraderie that comes around with it as well, routine, sticking to that routine, stay accountable, all those a big factor as well. It's funny because I recorded a video, which I have not yet posted on Instagram, which I'm probably going to do on like Monday or Tuesday or something like that. And it talks about kind of this exact topic. And this, the question is sort of uh, talking about training maturity, which is what you were going for, what you were asking, like what, where you were going with why you were asking this question and talking about what point, like my benchmark has always been five years, you know, in five years of doing it on your own, where you've been training by yourself, you started out on your own and you've tried to pick up things along the way. And maybe some people have helped you out a little bit. In five years, let's say you had per, uh, personal goals, um, strength or size or fat loss or whatever it is. How far have you come along toward those goals in that? And does that indicate that you are still a beginner or are you more so knowledgeable and experienced enough to be considered intermediate or advanced? Uh, in five years time, I would think that just in terms of from a linear pro progression perspective, most people should get to a point where they've been under the iron for that much time. You know, they can keep themselves uninjured. They can establish good technique. They could probably write out a nice little plan for themselves by that point if they've been staying consistent, all that stuff. But a lot of people who that doesn't apply to, there's a lot of people where they can't say that. They can, they're still in that beginner category. They're still in that beginner phase. They don't have the knowledge. They might have been not making the greatest use of their time with fitness, learning, education, um, nutrition, all that stuff. So maybe they can benefit in investing in help too. Um, once they're in and they're actually working with a trainer who knows them, I think the sky's the limit in terms of how long they spend with them, you know, because that trainer in, let's say, a good solid year and a half or two years can show them a whole lot of stuff that they never knew and that can give them that good foundation so they can go on their own so that it's then a choice for them to want to stick around and continue on. And so I would say about 75% of my clients now have just made that choice. They're in that choice category where, oh, yeah, no, I'm training with Lee because I train with Lee. And that's it. You know, and it's not because they need so desperately need some new programming or they need this or that. They can go and work out three, four times a week if they want to on their own. But, you know, it's become our routine. It's become our thing. And, you know, the workouts are still great and the, the sessions are still solid. And so they're staying. And that's it. Yeah, I really like that. I appreciate you both being so honest. And I love how we could have moments where we could disagree with one another and then be able to like openly just share our opinions. And I think that's just it is really recognizing that as trainers, we don't necessarily have to break up with our clients. We don't have to be the one to say, hey, like, hello, like you're due, go ahead, do your thing. It's like, hey, like back to the choice over should thing that I really resonate with what both of you, you said, you know, where that might be outlined in the beginning when someone does feel like they, oh, they want to have the confidence to do it on their own. But let's also factor in what goes beyond pushing and pulling heavy weights is it's the whole entire concept behind the relationship that you're building with this person. And I love how both of you even shared like the camaraderie, the conversations, the extra motivation, that push that goes a really long way. So um, I appreciate that. I want to just quickly um, take a second. I just noticed a text. I've got my podcast partner who said, can you open the door? And this, this can happen sometimes. <laughs> so I'm just going to quickly see if, my um, mother can open the door. Look at that. This is on air. 
Just give me one sec, guys. <laughs> Looks like that door was open. We're good to go. We'll fly through it. I uh, was debating whether or not I wanted to share this, but I think it's worthwhile getting your guys' opinion before we close out. Um, when we look at the overall, let's just say, value someone is spending and paying for your sessions, there's it's a very debatable topic, but when you look at what your rate is when you began as a trainer and then over the years, over the time, you get more educated, you have, you know, just more value to provide clients, your rate starts to increase over time, right? Um, or, or maybe it doesn't depending on how you both feel about it. But what do you think is, is like from what you guys have done works well when it comes to either grandfathering in rates for clients that have been with you since day one or you know what here's my value it's an all fairness everyone ends up paying that value going forward um this is something to be honest it's it stirred up a lot of conversation and a lot um out in the west here with uh some trainers and um i'm just curious to know where where, where it sits with both of you because for some people it's really frustrated some trainers on why they have to do this for others They've uh, understood that, yeah, you know what? Here's your payment. Here's your rate. This is what you should stick with. And for both of you being pioneers in the industry, what do you think is like the moral thing to do in that case when it comes to your what you charge and how you charge your clients? I mean, you can go at this from two different perspectives. You know, um, I know I'm a crappy business person. <laughs> uh, I do everything wrong from a business person perspective. Um, and my my brother yells at me about this all the time, but my rates are way too low for what for my education. Um, but they're still, I mean, I make what I need to make to survive. So, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm not trying to be a bazillionaire. I mean, maybe if I win the lottery, that'd be cool or something. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a millionaire. And my kind of goal is to be, you know, to get paid reasonably well for what I, you know, what I put out there, but also that people can afford me. I don't only want to be available to elite, you know, financial people. Um, so I try to keep my rates low and I have done that in a few different ways. Number one, I do half hour sessions. Half hour sessions are inherently cheaper than if they were paid the full hour rate. So that works out well for my clients. And then I also offer a lot of small group uh, stuff and the small group stuff kind of is a, is a win-win for everybody because the small group, you, you know, the more people who are in your group, the more you will get paid in that group. So you can kind of economize your time and get paid more per session with when, when you have more people in a small group. So that's kind of how I do it. But when I raise my rates, I generally do grandfather people in for about a year. And then if my rates go up again, their rates will also go up to the, to what they went up to the last time. So that's, that's generally how I, how I have done it. Nice. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that Melody. How about for you, Lee? Uh, uh, the last thing that Melody said is exactly what I do in terms of like, if there's a raise or increase in rates, then um, I would uh, grandfather. And uh, if I do have to raise that person, who I grandfathered eventually, they get to what my old rates were instead of what my brand new latest rates are. Um, I do believe in, like, I mean, inflation's a real thing. And I do believe in, uh, you know, increasing as time goes on. Because even when 
I remember like back in 2008 or whatever, when I started doing my first ever, uh, it would have been 2009, I guess, when I started doing my first ever private training sessions as an aside to the um, personal training employment that I was doing uh, with uh, with Extreme Fitness, my, my workplace, um, like the rates for training were so, so much lower than they are today, uh, just in general. You know, and in Toronto, I've learned what people in, you know, like colleagues of mine in like New York are charging and what colleagues of mine in LA are charging and so on. I'm just like, whoa, this is crazy. So it really depends on your location. Toronto's a metropolis just like LA and New York are. But um, I think that uh, there's still certain levels in terms of what the, just the going rates are for things. Um, having said that, I do believe that it's important for two things. Number one, that you're still charging a certain, I guess, called industry standard. What I mean by that is... If you go to a dentist and you say, I don't have coverage, and you say, I need to get a cleaning done, they'll say, okay, one unit of the cleaning is, let's say it's $105, okay? And that's what you're going to pay for this out of pocket. Okay, I'm going to go down the street, or I'm going to go across the city to this other dentist, dental office and see what they say. Say, yeah, we charge $107.50. Another place says, okay, we charge $102. It's all of that same bubble of that general amount that you're going to be looking for for the service period. doesn't matter if it's a great dentist, horrible dentist. Terrible, like it doesn't matter, right? And so, uh, you know, you want to get your pipes done by a plumber, probably the same game that they're going to say as well, right? And so if you're going to be a personal trainer who's charging privately like $40 an hour or something like that, I'm just going to say straight up, like that's not what the standard should be for the industry, right? And talking about just generally speaking, when we're talking about like, you know, in the city that I live in, let's just use as an example, Right. That's dirt, dirt cheap for the city of Lavin or in the New Yorks or the LAs and yeah. so on. And just for those work. listening, I mean, like I have an average of about 85, right? Give or take, it's anywhere between 60 to 100. That's So there you go. There you go. Exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of gyms. So I remember the gym that I worked at to start and I spent my first four years. Um, their rates per, for personal training was 70, 70, 78 dollars per session. That's what it was as a standard. And uh, the trainers made, I made $17 per hour out of that $78 um, and worked my way up to make into the 20s. And that's about it, right? Never hit 30, right? And so you get a really small cut when you work for a large corporation. That's just the nature of how it goes. I'm pretty sure that's how it goes with a lot of other similarly structured businesses as well, not just fitness. And so uh, with that being said, uh, when you do your own thing, you might say, okay, well, $40 an hour, so much more. but don't forget that the business, no matter what the trainer is or who the trainer is, was charging 78 for the session, right? So I am a believer that you have to charge a certain industry standard rate and you don't want to go below a certain point and you have to decide what that level is, what that number is. But um, as far as like, you know, having a human aspect to it and making sure that, that you do keep your clients in mind as far as who's been with you for a long time, how much they've been paying you, what inflation is, well, all that stuff, and like how things are going to sort of level out. That's a lot of, it's a series of judgment calls that you've got to make based on things like the relationship, based on things like, you know, how often do they cancel their sessions? Other things like that are big things too. So for that reason, I do think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a mixed bag in terms of exactly how I approach that. But do I raise rates? Yes. And uh, do I think that it's kind of important to do so? Well, tell you this, nothing's getting any cheaper uh, around. <laughs> so you got to you gotta kind of do that too, right? And um, it doesn't mean that you have to hose people and you have to gouge them, but it does mean that you have to make sure that you're continuing to charge your worth and continuing to charge what the going industry standard is. And that number has definitely raised in the last decade, I'll say that. 
Yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's, you know, increasing as the years are going on, but for definite good reason when you do have, you know, a, a trainer that wants to fit to that standard. So I, I appreciate both of you saying that, you know, it just goes to show that like, yeah, like know your worth and know what is increasing to week over week. And what you just said there really resonates Lee, because sometimes we don't tend to realize that, yes, I was getting paid this amount in a commercial gym, but this is how much that was getting charged. And the client was still willing to pay all that. They, they think and believe it's all going towards me. So it's like, if I was already that value, if I was already worth $78 for someone to be in a gym setting, and I have the similar equipment that this person needs based off their goals, then why not charge the same? You know, it's like uh, the, the whole concept behind knowing your worth, right? And um, I find that uh, that's super important. Uh, we're going to close out here, team. We've got about two and a half minutes on the Zoom before we jump back in again for some closing notes. But um, I just wanted to kind of bring it back to both of you and just see if there's anything else you'd like to share. Um, I like I find that first and foremost, your book, Strength Training for All Body Types, The Science of Lifting and Levers. I think every trainer is going to need to have access to that. You know, So for those listening, I find trainers are going to get such a huge value listening to this episode or anyone that's considered to wanting to be in the health industry or even as a client for that matter. Um, but I just wanted to see you closing out, you know, if you have any advice for, for trainers that we haven't yet discussed yet, or for anyone that's working in the health industry, um, is there anything left you'd like to share on that topic? I mean, in, as a general rule, just make sure that your needs are being taken care of with whatever route, whatever route you're choosing you know, with, with your life, make sure that your needs are also taken care of, because if you're not taking care of yourself, how are you going to take care of anybody else? You know, hundred percent. Yeah. You have I to put yourself that, first. You have to put your life jacket on first before you put someone for someone else. Right. I think that uh, advice that I would give to a young trainer would be um, that there are a lot of different kind of factions within the industry or just that very, it's can be very campy in places. Right. And uh, if you might be into powerlifting, for example, or you might be into bodybuilding, for example, or you might be into Olympic lifting, for example, it's very easy to start falling down the rabbit hole of thinking that that way is the superior way or that training that centrifugates around that sort of style is the best thing that's out there. And it keeps you closed minded to uh, many other different methods and ways, philosophies, coaches, um, all sorts of stuff like that. That can affect not only you and your mindset, but also your clients and how you train them too. So it's something to watch out for and to keep an open mind. Yeah, knowing different training styles beyond what you're passionate about. I completely agree, Lee. But Melody, why don't you share where people can connect and follow your journey? Uh, well, um, you can email me if you want to. Uh, my my personal email is nadiana01 at gmail.com that's n-a-d-i-a-n-a-0-1 at gmail.com don't ask about the email address it's a long story um you can also find me on 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 the instagrams uh at uh if if you like pictures of dogs and cats and guinea pigs because that's mostly what my instagram is um it's uh the number five ft of fury one at g at well just that's it not at gmail.com that's silly um so yeah five feet of fury uh, one it is on Instagram. Uh, uh, you can use smoke signals. Those sometimes work. Um, and, uh, and you can buy our book that's, and I have two other books out there as well. So you can buy any of them uh, or all of them ideally. So <laughs> awesome. The full, uh, the trilogy. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Thank you, Melody. And how about for you, Lee? I'm 
at Coach Lee, uh, at Coach Lee Voice across the board, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, hit my website as well, LeeVoice.com. Um, and that's where I've got all of the archi- uh, archived articles and stuff from basically my entire career. It's in there somewhere. Uh, I write blogs periodically as well. So uh, usually giving my perspective on certain things in the industry, not really about training content. And um, yeah, it's just sort of like a one-stop shop for all of that stuff, TV stuff, whatever other stuff that I have going on, podcasts like this one, TV, um, the little media section, everything's there. So uh, yeah, LeeBoys.com and Coach Lee Boys across the board. I'm usually giving some kind of daily training tips or advice or uh, sharing some uh, training updates and lifts and all that stuff, my own self. So um, you can find I'm pretty active on all that stuff. Oh yeah, I have a website too, don't I? Uh, Flawless Fitness. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much to the both of you. You know, I feel like a ton of trainers and those in the health industry are going to get a lot of value from this. And for those of you tuning in, um, you know, feel free to share this to another friend or someone in the industry that you feel like will gain a lot of value. And don't forget to rate us on all platforms. So thank you for tuning in, Melody and Lee. We've, uh, you know, just did an awesome episode here on Second Floor Podcast where we continue to, you know, teach others how to survive, thrive, and keep the good vibes going in health, life, and business. So That's a wrap. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you.